Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. So let's go to Romans chapter 1. I want to begin tonight teaching through the book of Romans. And uh, I, uh, it's something that uh, uh, I believe is, is crucial for any local church, is that verse-by-verse teaching in Bible study. Uh, you know, when I was a boy coming up, we called it Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, uh, because, you know, if you're going to come and, and, and study the Word, uh, we want to see what the Lord has to say, Amen. So we want to begin here with part one of this, Romans chapter one, and if I had a subtopic, it would be the call, the commitment, and the message. The call, the commitment, and the message. Now the book of Romans was uh, uh, written around A.D. 56, uh, when Paul had written, wrote this gospel, he had not yet been to Rome, and the church at Rome had been founded by other individuals that are unknown to us. Uh, but Paul, through his travels, knew many of the believers. Uh, in Romans 16, you can see he was, he was uh, sending greetings to all the believers there in Rome. Romans is considered uh, the greatest exposition of Christian doctrine anywhere in Scripture. Uh, it, I, I, I uh, knew a young man one time whose wife worked in a law office, and she was witnessing to her boss, the, the head man there, and he made the statement concerning the book of Romans that Romans was taught in his law school because it's such a, a powerful uh, legal document. Paul starts from the very beginning and lays out his case throughout the book of Romans. And basically, by the time you hit Romans chapter 16, it's open and shut. There's no question about it. It's the, the, the greatest exposition of Christian doctrine anywhere in Scripture. And when you look throughout the history of the church, you find out that uh, exposition of Romans have sparked revival all throughout the history of the church. Martin Luther, who birthed the Reformation into the world, what changed his viewpoint? It's, it said that the just shall live by faith. Well, that came out of the book of Romans, chapter 1. The just shall live by faith. And, 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 and as a priest, he was reading the book of Romans, and he saw that phrase, and it just stuck in his spirit. The just shall live by faith. Not by my works, not by being good enough. The just shall live by faith. And when he nailed his 95 thesis to the church, in the church door in Wittenberg, Germany, the first thing on that 95 thesis was the just shall live by faith. It sparked a reformation. It ended the dark ages. Hallelujah. Do you see this? Because what happens, people become aware of how great God's grace is. When, when you read through the book of Romans, you come away with the understanding of how great God's grace is and how great God's mercy is. 
and how great His grace is towards us. Let's start here, Romans chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. So Paul related himself first to the Lord. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. So he related himself firstly to the Lord. He related himself secondly to his calling. All right, Paul, a servant of, the, of, of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. Thirdly, he related himself to his ministry the Lord had given him. All right, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God. So Paul was totally committed to the, to the, the will of the Lord Jesus. All right, Paul states that his life was separated under the gospel of God. Separated under the gospel of God. That's a word that means marked off by boundaries. All right? I'm separated. I'm marked off by boundaries. In other words, the ministry of the gospel was Paul's only pursuit. This is what I'm called to do. I've told Bible school students for years, when you find what God has called you to do, you are now good for nothing else. Because this is the call of God on my life. When I found out I was called to be a pastor, that marked me off. That marked me off with a boundary. All right? I'm, I'm not, I, I could no longer function in corporate America with that call on my life. You understand? Now, I was a bivocational pastor for a time, but here's the point. The, the call will ultimately consume the individual if they give themselves to it. And so Paul is saying, my life is marked off by boundaries. So life to Paul was commitment, number one. All right, I'm committed to what the Lord wants me to do. It was number one, commitment. Number two, it was commission. What am I commissioned to do? I'm committed to what God's asked, and I'm, I'm, uh, what am I commissioned to do? And thirdly, it was consecration. So so life to Paul was commitment, commission, and consecration. All right? Hallelujah. In verse 2, he says, which, uh, under the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scripture. So notice that Paul says the gospel of God was promised before in the Holy Scriptures. So what this indicates is this, that Jesus was the good news that fulfills God's promises. Because he says it's the gospel, notice, the gospel of God, which he promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And we know he's talking about Jesus because verse 3 says, concerning his son, Jesus Christ. So what does that tell us? The focus of the good news is Christ who became the son of man. The focus of the good news is Christ, who became the Son of Man, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Hallelujah. Verse 4 says, And declared to be the Son of God, with power according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Notice, He was declared to be the Son of God. Now here again we have the meaning marked off by boundaries. Right, he was declared to be the Son of God. In, in, in what? Notice, by the resurrection from the dead. 
the resurrection of Christ from the dead declared him to be exactly what he was, the Son of God. Hallelujah. I think it's so interesting that, that, that uh, uh, you know, the, the Scripture tells us about the resurrection of Christ. And then Paul brings out that not only was Jesus seen by the twelve, he was seen by over 500 people at one time. It's a historical fact that Jesus rose from the dead. The Jewish historian Josephus uh, dedicated uh, an entire part of his uh, uh, history of Jewish antiquity to the resurrection of Jesus. He said about the time of Pilate, there was a man named Jesus Christ. He said, if you can call him a man. He said he did many mighty signs and wonders and miracles. And it said, he said that he would rise again on the third day. And a Jewish historian says, which he did. He rose again on the third day. Marked off by boundaries, the resurrection proved that Jesus was exactly what he said. He was the Son of God. Amen. Now, verse 5, notice it says, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Now, what I want you to see is in the first five verses of Romans, we have the story of redemption in five verses. We have the story of redemption in five verses. That the object of the gospel was Jesus. He died, shed his blood, and rose again. We have redemption in five verses. Oh, hallelujah. Ha! <laughs> and then he says in verse 5, By whom we have received grace and apostleship. Notice what Paul received first. Grace. He received grace first. And then apostleship. Because it's, it's, it's God's unmerited favor that enabled Paul to be an apostle. So I received grace first. You'll remember that Paul said, he said here he received grace. He said in Galatians, he said, I needed mercy. Right? Because he said, I used to be a blasphemer. I used to be injurious. Right? He said, I wasn't like the other apostles. I put, I put, I put people to death for believing in Jesus. And he said, that's what I was. I was a blasphemer. I was injurious, but he said, but I received mercy. Woo, glory to God. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? You look at the, the, the great apostle Paul who, writ, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, right? We still preach his, his messages that the Holy Spirit gave him, and he needed to have grace, and he needed to have mercy. If Paul needed to have grace to do what, he's do, what he did, you're going to need grace to do what God's called you to do. If he needed mercy, you're going to need mercy. And there's an endless supply of grace and an endless supply of mercy. Oh, hallelujah. Glory to God. Because somebody will feel like God's called them to do something. They'll say, how am I going to do that? By grace. You're going to do it by God's grace. Amen. I, I, I want to echo Lester Summerall. God's never asked me to do anything that I could do. And he's never asked me to do anything I could afford. It will always be his grace. 
Hallelujah. Do you understand that? that? That's why the Bible says that salvation is by grace through faith, so no one can boast. I can't boast in what God's done. God did it. I can't take any credit other than obedience for what God's done. God did it. And Paul says, I received grace first, and then the calling, and then the apostleship. And notice, he had to receive it. Amen. If you keep looking at your mistakes and your failures and your shortcomings, you will not receive grace. Because grace is that word in the Greek that is charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. And it's an unmerited gift, an unwarranted gift. If God had to wait for all of us to get everything straight before he called us or used us, God wouldn't get anything done in the earth because nobody, nobody is got it all together. Everybody's in the process of getting things together. I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about ambition. I'm talking about commitment. But God says, I'll give you my grace so you can finish the call. Glory to God. Mm, do you see this? He says, for the obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. The obedience to the faith is a reference to believing itself. Not to a doctrine or a belief. It's to believing itself. He said, we receive grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. It's, it's believing itself. You know, there are people that believe a doctrine, but they don't just believe. They believe a doctrine, but they don't just believe. The, the, the point is, you have to have good doctrine, but at the end of the day, you have to believe. Oh, hallelujah. Verse 6, it says, Among whom are you also called of Jesus Christ? So notice something. He's telling them, I'm called, but now here he says, you're called too. Oh, hallelujah. You know, I've had people tell me, well, Pastor, you know, you're different than me. You're called. No, you're called too. We're all called. All right? We're all called to what? He says we're called of Jesus Christ. So everyone in here has something to do for God, something to do for the cause of Christ. Ever what it is, that's what you're called to do. You are called of Christ. Oh, I tell your neighbor, say, I'm called of Christ. Tell your other neighbor, say, I'm called of Christ. See, this is important. Because that, 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 that's why we answered that first question. Well, how am I going to fulfill that calling? By grace. You're going to receive the grace, and you're going to do it. Well, I, 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 you know, I, I wanted to do something for God, but, but then I failed. Thank God for His grace. Amen. Jesus took the test and scored 100, and you get His score. Hallelujah. On earth, that's called cheating. In heaven, it's called grace. Oh, Glory. Look, <laughs> look at verse 7. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you 
and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the called are God's loved ones. So all that be in Rome, loved of God. Try that out. Say out loud. Say, I'm loved of God. Say it one more time. I'm loved of God. Woo, glory to God. How's that, how's that make you feel? God loves me. Hallelujah. So the called are God's loved ones. And he says, you're called to be saints. Now, that word has taken on a connotation in latter years that it, it was never meant. A saint is a set-apart one. That's all it means. All right? A holy one, a set-apart one. So he says, you're called to be saints. You're called to be set-apart. Oh, hallelujah. You're called to be set-apart. And he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8, first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. So the faith of the Roman church was widely known. I declare that verse over our churches, that our faith, our faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Amen. That's why I tell you all the time, people, people talk about you all over the place. I, listen, I go, the, 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 not too long ago I was at, the, well, the last time I was at the KCM Ministers Conference, and I, I was there working uh, with Pastor and helping them, and uh, we, were, we were setting things up the very first day, and, and I came in the hallway, and one of the employees at KCM, I saw him, he stopped me, he looked at me, and he said, how you doing? I said, I'm doing good. He said, I'll be right back. I said, Okay. I mean, you know, I'm walking down the hall and somebody goes, hey, how you doing? Doing good. How are you doing? I'll be right back. Okay. And so I, I keep working. And sure enough, he came running back and he was waving a check. He said, I just, I, I watch you, I watch you all the time. And I just wanted to be a blessing. I don't know him. Right? Your faith is spoken of throughout the world. Amen. Notice, throughout the whole world, the local church in Rome was like a city set on a hill, occupying a prominent position in the world in that day. The, your faith is spoken of throughout the world. Amen. The church, the local church, the local body, if it's not touching, if it's only inward focus, then the light's being wasted. Jesus said that we're the light of the world. And a city set on a hill can't be hidden. Can't, he didn't say wouldn't be. He said can't be. It can't be. Hallelujah. People say, you know, this church is growing. What's going on? When pe people are getting healed, People are getting delivered. Their lives are being turned around. You're a light that's set on a hill. You can't be hidden. Oh, hallelujah. Glory to God. Verse 9. We'll read down through verse 11. He said, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit. That phrase, my spirit, with my spirit, is in my spirit. In the gospel of the Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always 
in my prayers, making request if by any means at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come to you, for I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that you may be established. Now notice, the word spirit, he says, I serve with my spirit. It's referring to his human spirit, all right? With my spirit, in my spirit, is where I serve God. God is my witness, I whom I serve in my spirit, in the gospel of his son. So the sphere of his ministry was the good news concerning Christ. That's the gospel, is the good news concerning Christ. And then he says, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Without ceasing. That, that, that phrase means without intermission. There's no, there's no delay. There's no intermission. I do this consistently. Paul uses the same word in 1 Thessalonians 1-2 when he says, I pray always for you all. All right? So we get the idea that Paul had a prayer list. And he was constantly praying. Hallelujah. In a local church with a pastor that cares about you, you're always prayed for. Amen. I don't know how much wisdom you know you think you guys are about to walk into, but I pray over you every day that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you would know the hope of your calling and what the, the, the riches of the glory of the inheritance that you can possess in the saints. Oh, glory to God. Do you see that? And he said, I want to see you so I can impart into you some spiritual gift. And the result would be that they would be established. The Weist Bible says, uh, I, want to, I may impart some spiritual gift to you resulting in your being established. But then it goes on and says, that is, moreover that, I'm, that is moreover that I may be strengthened among you through the mutual faith with, which is yours and mine. So the relationships between the minister and the people is a mutually beneficial relationship. All right? In other words, the people receive from the pastor and the pastor receives from the people. You want to bring your supply when you come to church. Right? So you get something, you have impartation that causes you to be established, but there's a mutual benefit. Oh, hallelujah. Glory to God. Then, do you see that? Now, he goes on and says in verse 12, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. I would not have you ignorant, brethren. Oft times I purposed to come to you, but was let hitherto, or I have not been released to go, that I might have some fruit among you also as among other Gentiles. I'm debtor both to the Greeks and the barbarians, to the wise and the unwise. So as much as in me is, notice this, with all of my strength, I'm ready to preach the gospel to them that are at Rome also. And then he says, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now, now there's a reason that he says that. 
Because what, what, what you see in this Greek phrase is Paul saying, I know the challenge of preaching this in Rome. But he says, I'm up to it because I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The, the, the word ashamed means to feel shame. Paul's saying, I feel no shame preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. None whatsoever. Amen. You know, there, there, there's this idea in the world that if you want to win people to Christ, you have to work your way around and kind of come in the back door and slip it in on them. And they don't know, kind of, kind of like, you ever, you ever hear of people in the world say they put a Mickey in his drink? Kind of sneak up on them? I want to tell you something. The gospel has always been and will always be confrontational. Always has been, always will be. Come, follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. Lord, let me go bury my father. Let the dead bury the dead. You pick up your cross and follow me. Lord, I'll go with you. Okay? I don't know where I'm staying tonight. We might have to sleep in the field. Foxes know where they're going to stay. Birds know where they're going to stay. But I'm a traveling minister. I don't know where I'm going to stay tonight. Oh, that changes it. See, it's you, you, the gospel is you take this, straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads to salvation. Is that right? Few there be that find it. Relatively few. Relative to the, to the population on the earth. Seven billion people in the earth. Relative to the population, few there are that find it. Right? You can't be ashamed of the gospel. Because that's what changes lives. Do, do, do you see that? Amen. Now notice, he says, I'm not ashamed. I feel no shame. And then he states why he's not ashamed. For it's the power of God unto salvation. To the Jew, to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's the power, everybody say power. See, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The, the Greek word used here for power is dunamis. D-U-N-A-M-I-S, dunamis. And, and it's, it refers to an inherent power. In other words, a power that resides in a thing by virtue of its nature or by virtue of its power that that thing puts forth. And so what it's saying is when you preach the gospel, the power of God is put forth. Woo, glory. Amen. That's why you can sit under the gospel and get healed during the preaching. Because the power of God is going forth. It's, it's not just words. Any other religion has words. Any other religion has a belief system. But it does not have the power of God inherent within it. Only the living gospel has the power of the living God inherent within it. That, that's how things, I, I've had people say, you know, when I come to your church, it's not like when I go to my church. Well, I'm not judging their church, but the only difference could be the gospel 
right? Or not gospel. The gospel is not a belief system. It's the gospel of God. Not ashamed of it. Oh, hallelujah. So the gospel is the inherent power of God operating in the salvation of a lost soul that accepts it. Notice what he says. It's the power of God to everyone that believes. The power of God unto salvation. So what has the power to save you? The gospel. Right? And what, what's it take? Believing. Is that right? And then he says it's it to everyone that believes. The Jew first and also the Greek. That just means the gospel came to the Jew first. But then he says, and the Greek. Hallelujah. Ha-ha. The power to change a life is in the gospel. The gospel is the good news of salvation energized by the Holy Spirit. So Paul states why the gospel is the power of God or what makes it effectual in the saving of a sinner who will believe. He says God's righteousness is revealed in the, in the gospel. Notice, for therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So this righteousness, this is the relation of being right into which God places the man that will believe. All right? When that man or woman believes, they are placed into right standing with God. When? Immediately upon believing. Immediately. All right? That, that, that's so important. Glory to God. Because that, that's part of what's missing sometimes in, in people's theology and in their doctrine is, you know, okay, now you're saved and you're not going to hell. You know, well, wonderful. I'm so glad I'm not going to hell. Trust me. But here's the thing. When I got saved and born again, not only did I cease going to hell, I ceased being unrighteous. I ceased being not right with God. I became right with God. Why was I not right with God? Because I had went away from God. I, I had broken the relationship with God. Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray. God didn't leave. We went astray. I had to be put back right with God. And when I believed the gospel, I was put into right standing with God. Think about how many people you know that need to know that. How many Christians do you know that need to know they have been put right with God? There are multitudes of Christians that you know that they think God is their problem. They think God's punishing them or holding out on them because of something they did or didn't do. When in reality, they are right with God. They have been put right with God. And God's not holding their failures or their mistakes or their missteps against them. He's saying, I forgot all of that. I've cast that behind my back. I don't remember it against you anymore. You're right with me. That's the gospel. See, the gospel is not just Jesus will save you from hell. He says there's something revealed there. 
that you're right with God. See, if, I, if, if I'm not right with God, I can't ask God for anything. Now, I know there are people that disagree with my theology, and that's fine. Uh, you got to show me scripture. You know, they're, 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 the only prayer that God hears from a sinner is I repent. And I make Jesus my Lord. It would, violate, it would violate Scripture for him to answer a prayer of a sinner. Well, I know a sinner prayed, and he got, no, you don't. You don't know him. You don't know him. Because why? Because the Bible says God doesn't hear the cry of the ungodly. I'm moving right along. See, that, 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 I'm, I'm not saying you, that, that's an example of how, see, we've got a whole, we've got a, a whole generation that's just been raised on this. Oh, God loves you. God's compassionate. God's merciful. God understands. God loves everybody. God does love everybody. But he says right here, he says there's something you got to do. You got to believe the gospel. Is that right? We, we got a whole generation of ministers that are coming up that know nothing about the moving of the Holy Spirit. They know nothing about being led by the Spirit. They know nothing about preaching other than everything's great, everything's wonderful, God doesn't care how you live. And God says, I want some standards in your life so I can pour out my blessings on you like I want to. Where the standard is, the blessing will be found. If there's no standard, there's no blessing. Glory to God. Mm. Am I helping anybody? He says this righteousness is revealed from faith to faith. What that means is the means or the medium of this righteousness that is given is faith. It's revealed from faith to faith. To faith, from faith to faith, the phrase to faith is an expression that refers to the attitude of faith on the part of a sinner. Meaning the gospel reveals a righteousness that is given on the principle of faith, not on the basis of merit, not on the basis of works. It's received by faith. I, I think sometimes people don't understand that. The greatest act of faith you ever took and the greatest act of faith you will ever take is when you said you were born again. You received eternal salvation by faith. Now there should be nothing else that you can't receive by faith. That, that was the primer for how you receive everything. Oh, hallelujah. In verse 18, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now notice, he said the wrath of God is revealed from heaven 
against all ungodliness. You know, I've never seen so many Christians whining about wicked people. Oh, look at the world. The world's just going to hell in a handbasket. Oh, my goodness. Wicked men everywhere. Wicked men everywhere. Wicked, 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 wicked. Yep. But you need to read Psalm 37. The psalmist said, help, Lord. He said, righteous men have ceased from being on the scene. But you know what the Lord said? Don't fret yourself because of evildoers. They're going to get their comeuppance. You just watch. It's going to happen. Amen. Everything, I heard my pastor say this the other day, so I'll say it. Everything that all the wannabe wannabe apostles and pseudo-prophets are saying can't happen because the church is here. Everything that you're seeing in, in the nation where wicked people are concerned, I'm going to tell you not only can it change, you're going to see it change. I, that's a base just on Scripture. He says the wrath of God will be revealed against that. Hallelujah. See, the truth here, he says, the wrath of God's revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. The truth here is not the gospel because all men don't possess the knowledge of the gospel. The meaning of the truth is found in the context. The context is God. And the fact that there is a God that worship and obedience are due. There is a God, and He's due our worship, and He's due our obedience. Do you see that? that? That's something that's crept into the church. Is, you know, like this, this, this partial obedience and, well, I'll obey if I want to. That's not how God operates. I say, that's not how God operates. He's God. I heard a minister say this one time. He said, God has a problem. He thinks he's God. I don't know if I agree with that completely, but, but, but you understand that when God says something, he realizes it is God saying it. Amen. Do, do you see this? And, and he says they hold the truth in unrighteousness. Verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them or to them, For God has showed it unto them. So notice, in other words, they should know God because God has manifest to them and showed them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are, or so that they may be, without excuse. Now notice that. 
Now, it's very simple to say the existence of God is clearly plain in creation. But it is. It just, it is. It's clearly plain. My, my wife and I were watching something the other night, a, a, a nature program, and we, we enjoy that. And, and it was talking about how uh, there, there is a certain hawk, and this hawk is the fastest uh, uh, raptor. It can fly somewhere in the neighborhood of 60, 65 miles an hour, and it flies really low to the ground through the forest, all right? And, of course, it, you know, squirrels and rats and bunnies and, you know, all the, all the stuff that, you know, that they eat. But it said there's, there's an issue. There's a little bird, and it's known to put out the alarm when that hawk starts flying. And that bird starts putting out the alarm and gets the attention of the squirrels. And it showed this chain reaction. And I was, I was sit, sitting there with my wife. And just from my left I heard her say, look at God. And I thought, yeah, look at God. And, and, and people, ungodly people, want you to believe that that just happened. That that just occurred. Right? Now, th now, that's an elementary illustration. But, you know, when, when I'm pulling into my neighborhood and I'm at, I'm at the top of the hill that goes into my neighborhood and it's, it's one of those hazy summer evenings, right? And I, and I look through the haze and I can see the river and I can see the hills and the beautiful city that we live in, right? You can't tell me there's not a God. Or in the morning when I'm coming to the office and I come up that I, I come up that hill and I turn right to go down the other hill and I see that pink sunrise. Oh my goodness, there is a God. Right? And but notice Paul says God's made it clear to every man through creation that he exists. And verse 21, he says, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. And their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Notice that. So humanity is without excuse or defense for their actions. No excuse and no defense. Because knowing God as creator, they refuse to glorify him as God. And that's why you hear phrases today like Mother Nature. Isn't Mother Nature wonderful? Well, there's no mother of nature. Or you'll hear this, 
isn't the universe wonderful? Thank, thank, thank goodness the universe provides. Hmm. We thank the universe for what is provided. That, and, and let me say this very nice, that is a fool. Right? Because the Bible says their foolish heart was darkened. Now, people can say, well, Pastor, that's because you believe. Why would I not believe? I mean, I just think about the, the, the individuals here tonight that I'm preaching to. Do you know that they are still trying to create a computer that can work as flawlessly and as quick as your brain? And they've not been able to do it. And the reality of it is, most people that you know, according to statistics, use 10% of the power of their brain. 10%. And yet, man has not yet been able to come up with a system that is even close to the four pounds of gray matter that resides between your ears. Isn't that wonderful? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Your, your nervous system is so complex and so amazing that they've been studying it for centuries and still have not figured it all out. And those same scientists that can't figure out your brain or figure out your nervous system want to, you to believe that you, beca- you began in a primordial pool of ooze, and, and sometime you got tired of swimming around in the ocean, and you crawled up on the sea, on the seashore, and popped out a tail, and one day you said, ugh. No. See, they don't want to admit, to admit that you were created and did not evolve means you got to admit there's a God. Evolution is the idea that there's not a creator. We did this all on our own. It just happened. If you say you were created, you've got to say you had a creator. This is important. Do, do, do you see that? So humanity is without excuse. You, you, can look, you can look at the, the most dense individual that you know. And they are, they are one of the brightest in creation. Hallelujah. Because they're made in the image of God. They refuse to glorify God as God. They became ungrateful, primarily for the gift of life itself. They didn't glorify God as God. Hallelujah. See, when, when you have proponents of abortion, you have proponents of, 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 of taking the life of children in the womb, what, what they're saying is two things. They're saying, number one, I don't care what God thinks, and number two, I don't believe that is life. 
Those are both prideful statements. That's a prideful statement to say, I don't care what God thinks. See, these verses tell us something. Nobody's getting away with anything. Nobody's getting away with anything. That's what Psalm 37 says. It says, Lord, help. They're getting away with all this. And God said, no, they're not. No, they're not. Remember what Paul said? He said, some men's sins are obvious now. He said, some men's sins, what's it say? Follows them into eternity. So what does that mean? If you don't get it right, there's a judgment day coming. There's a payment day coming. Amen. And Christians will sit around, twiddle our thumbs, and say, why, why isn't this coming out? And how are they getting away with it? They're not getting away with it. They're not getting away with it. He said the wrath of God will be revealed. Amen. And he said they became vain. This will, this will be our last point. We're not even going to get through the first chapter tonight. They became vain. Now this is so important because it says they became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Now that word vain has come to mean pride. It's not what it means though in the original Greek. It means devoid of force, devoid of truth, devoid of success, or devoid of results. Oh, that's powerful. Because it refers to the unsuccessful attempt to do something or be something. And we could go through all of Scripture and see this over and over again. He says that these people, notice, would become vain in their imagination and their foolish heart was darkened. So what does that mean? They'll have no success. They'll have no good results. They'll be unsuccessful in what they try to do. Why? Because they won't acknowledge God. They won't acknowledge God. Now that evolves into pride. But, 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 but this, this is the issue. The arm of the flesh will always fail. And you know, we say that. In our circles, the arm of the flesh will always fail. It bothers me when I hear people say, I just, I got to take care of my business. I got to do this. I got to provide. I, I'm going to say something that's going to help every husband, father in this room. You're not smart enough to provide for your family. You don't know enough. You can't work hard enough. You can't make enough money. You can't work enough hours. And for you to talk about how you're the provider in your house, that's pride. God is the provider in your house. And you keep taking that pressure on yourself, and I'll come visit you when you have your heart attack. God is the one that provides for my family. I am not Michelle's provider. God is Michelle's provider. I'm not Liliana's provider. God is their provider. See, I'm, I'm sharing that because that's vain. 
I keep thinking that way, and that would be vain. You need to work hard. You need to try to take care of your family. But here's, here's the issue. I'm not the provider. The moment I start saying I'm the provider, then they are limited to what I can provide. I want them provided by the limitlessness of God. Amen. And it all started with not being willing to glorify God as God. And as I'm closing, that's why every time any good thing happens to you, you say, God did that. Lord, you did that. God, you did that. I, amen. I, I was talking to a lady today. I had a lady call me from the Arkansas Department of Health. And uh, she was uh, asking me some, some questions. You know, Liliana had been in the hospital, and, and uh, uh, these cases of strep, uh, uh, they're very contagious. And so, they, the, of course, the, the hospital had to, you know, they had the report and, and whatnot. And she was talking, very wonderful lady very respectful and she was talking to me and she said uh, well uh, you know how is she doing I said oh she's healed I said the Lord touched her the Lord healed her the Lord was good to us and she kind of got quiet on the other end of the phone she said well that's uh, wonderful I said yes the Lord's good the Lord's wonderful and she just got quiet and I said yep the Lord healed her just kept letting her know the Lord healed her she said, well, Pastor Seal, that's wonderful. You know, and I said, yes, it is. God's good to us. Amen. Because here's, here's the thing. I don't want something good to happen in my life and me fail to take the opportunity to say, God, you did that. Because that's where that vainness begins. Right? Remember, and, and I'll close with this. Remember what the, the Scripture says when he said in the book of Deuteronomy, he said, beware when you go into the land and you get houses full of all good things and vineyards you didn't dig and orchards that you didn't plant. He said, beware lest your heart be lifted up and you say, the might of my hand and my power has gotten me all this wealth. He said, but you shall remember the Lord your God for it is he that gives you the power to get wealth. Don't take that one verse out of its setting. Yeah, the Lord's given me the power to get wealth. Most people quote that and they say, yeah, look at me. Look at what I got. Look at what I got. The Lord gave me the power to get wealth. That your heart's still lifted up. But, amen. I don't ever forget how broke I was and how much I couldn't change it. And God did it. Oh, hallelujah. Isn't that wonderful? Let's stand up tonight. I hope you got something out of that. Glory to God. We'll pick up there next Wednesday.